You're listening to the Sonic Guild Colorado Podcast. I'm your host, L.M. Fisher, musician, producer, and creator. This episode features Alicia Kraft, holistic singer-songwriter, producer, and an inaugural Sonic Guild grant winner. I spoke with Alicia at NoCo Community Gem, the music district. We discussed how connecting with other kinds of artists can yield mutual support networks with longevity, Michael Jordan mosaics as a metaphor for recording, the importance of listening while working towards accessibility in our local spaces, and so much more. This is the Sonic Guild Colorado Podcast with Alicia Kraft. are tuning in to the Sonic Guild Colorado podcast. I am here today with Alicia Kraft. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. How are you? What's been going on in your life? You just got off of a absolutely magnificent show. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah, totally riding that high. Um, We played at the Lyric or at at the Aggie on Saturday night. Um, with some really good friends, really great bands, Veronica May and the Magnetics and Costanza. And yeah, it was just a beautiful, super energetic, vibey packed night. Have you played at the Aggie before? I have. Um, it's been a while. Like I think it was pre-pandemic the last time. So it was really fun and exciting to get back in that room and it's feeling really good these days. What was your favorite song of the night? Uh, I have this song called Electric Blooms that um, it's kind of just a banger and we saved it till the end and I had some flowers to throw out and it was just a really sweet, special moment with the crowd. So, Oh, that's great. A little interaction. Who doesn't love getting pelted with flowers that's at right. a rock show? <laughs> Pretty awesome. There's just something so classic about the flower toss. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about before you were Alicia Craft. What did you learn from fronting bands like Whippoorwill and the Patty Fiasco? And how did that influence your transition to releasing music under your own name? Mm, that's such a good question. I learned, oh, I learned, I learned a lot about collaboration, a lot about creative dynamics, teams, egos, um, in, you know, both the good and bad ways that those things can come into play. Um, I think I learned a lot about communication, a lot about um, longevity being a really important element in any creative endeavor. And And then I also just learned a lot about songwriting. And I think one of the biggest, I don't, I'm trying to think of if there is a plural for the word impetus, but I think one of the Mm. biggest inspirations for like wanting to do my own thing was really learning how songs came together holistically and wanting to have more um, of a say in overall production and, and honestly getting to make decisions about a lot of things without kind of consulting a more democratic process. Mm, Yeah, that's fair. There's something special about being able to say, this is what I want for the song and 
you don't have to compromise on that because that's hard. I mean, when you feel something creatively to have to like say, okay, well, I guess the group is it isn't right for the group. So I'll have to give that up. What was the first song that you wrote on your own? Um, well, so for both of those projects, I'd been um, doing the songwriting. Um, and then I was bringing sort of skeletons of songs into the band, and the band would develop and arrange them. In both of those projects, you know, they really afforded a lot of agency for everyone to kind of bring their own flair into the songs. And I think both bands had really cool aesthetics and sounds. But during the pandemic, you know, just out of isolation and necessity, I started building out my tracks a little bit more and really kind of investing myself more in the idea of full production. And um, and as I was doing that, I was like, man, these songs don't sound like Patty Fiasco songs. They don't sound like Whippoorwill songs. And so, um, yeah, just invested myself. The, the song Cold Mountain, which is the first song off of my solo album, was the first song that I sort of fleshed out all the way through and was like, this is different. This is me. So... What was it like working with Grammy-nominated artist Justin Craig and J. Tom Hanlow on the song? That's pretty incredible to go from. Yeah, I mean, it's it was great. And I think, um, so how that came about was I had um, made a record with Tom in the past and toured with Tom, and we realized that we had like a really quick, really cohesive workflow. And during the pandemic, we were doing a lot of that collaboration remotely. So Justin was programming drums in Brooklyn based upon the demo drums that I had built out. And then he was sending them to Tom. And then I was sending things back to Tom. And um, so, I mean, it was a beautiful process in that it was what we were all focusing on. It was this weird, beautiful moment where, you know, that's what we were working on, and we weren't all juggling 8,000 things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was a really sweet, fluid, mostly email communication process. <laughs> the wonder of the modern age. Truth. Our Zoom sessions, and who knew? It works out creatively. Yeah. I mean, it was wild because I felt like I was doing so much of that in the pandemic, and now it feels completely impossible to do that. You know, I'm like, people are busy again. Um, and it's so much about like just trying to get people's focused energy in a room together. I don't know if that's been your experience in the podcasting realm, but sometimes yes, sometimes no. There's definitely a lot more schedule juggle of which is great. Everybody's back on gigs and that's fantastic. Um, I still do a lot of voiceover stuff over Zoom. Um And I'm lucky enough to work with people who are like in Brooklyn or in Australia. um, And that's great. But yeah, I think probably for music, it's a little it's a little trickier. I mean, uh, like acting gig is probably shorter than, I don't know, a a tour gig. What, What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things that at least it feels like to me, maybe we all got so starved of that energy of like bouncing ideas off each other in a room that maybe maybe it's not that it's impossible maybe it's that I no longer have the capacity for it uh that's probably more likely actually 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, it takes a lot of energy. And mm-hmm. then you go to somewhere and you have to get everybody in a room. Everybody's different different vibes. Yeah. It's not like a Zoom where you can just be like, hang on, I got to go <laughs> do this real quick. Like pause for a second. Come right. back. Right. Like we rented the space. We have to yeah. be here. Yes. It's time to get this done. Yeah. So Cold Mountain was featured in independent film Be Still and won Best Original Song in the LA Independent Film Festival. How did that collaboration start with the filmmakers? And what advice do you have to other artists who want to take their music from other mediums into exposure? Mm, Cool. Um, Another great question. But basically, the collaboration with that filmmaker started during this really magical event that Fort Collins has called 5314, where they pair artists with filmmakers locally and give everyone 53 hours and 14 minutes to collaborate and make a music video. And um, at the time, I was in Whippoorwill, and we got paired with the filmmaker Ben Hess. Um, And we had an amazing time, had an amazing weekend, and Ben... Um, obviously was an incredible filmmaker and he hit me up with this project Be Still which is a really really moving and powerful short film that he had collaborated um, in the writing of with a doula here in town that speaks to um, sort of the pain and also like stigma and silence around miscarriage and so in that song Ben was describing the scene to me that the song was going to be in, and um, I was just really, really moved by it. And so it ended up just being a handshake deal, um, you know, a friendship exchange, and ended up serving us both really well, I think. And as always, I'm just really grateful to get to have my music in, you know, in a scene that's super moving and really powerful and and the project itself is just the the culmination of a lot of people's passion and talent and energy and so it was really a cool circumstance through which that came about so advice would just be honestly like find the filmmakers in the community and hang out with them um you know if you're a creative person probably enjoy the company of other creative people and you know, everybody's kind of coming up in this stuff together. Yeah, and there's something really powerful about all of those people coming together. And it's so amazing the way that the music can support a story like that, like that probably wouldn't have been the same without the song and vice versa. Like, it's such a cool exchange to be a part of. So that's great advice. Just hang out with people and eventually the right story for your music is going to come up and don't be afraid to say yes. Yeah, totally. And I think don't be afraid to say yes for situations. You know, there's a lot of conversation around like, make sure that you're getting paid for everything. And I think there's some validity in that. And I think there's also a lot of validity in like, especially in the creative industry, to be like, where can I help you out with something that you will then help me out with something mm. you know because Ben's yeah. filmed since filmed a few of my music videos and you know just um I've been extremely lucky to have him as a collaborator yeah so finding a good community that you can help each other out with yeah good like mutual aid network yeah 
I love that. Creative mutual aid. Yes. That's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. How did your journey to sobriety start and what effect did it have on you creatively? Well, let's see. I mean, it it probably started further back than like a mega bender, but the, the mega bender was what ultimately initiated the sobriety itself. Um, but, you know, looking back on that was absolutely the best choice, best decision. And I'm not even really sure I made a decision so much as I was just like so beat up by the life that I was living that I surrendered. Um, but yeah, it's just, I mean, it's been interesting because for a little while, all of my energy was like fully directed into like just recovery and sort of realizing that there were a lot of things beneath the drinking that also needed to be addressed. And what I think over time, it just became so easy to connect with the creative process in a real way and connect with crowds in a real way and people and just have this much deeper, more connected relationship that I always wanted to have with art. But there was always, like, substance kind of in the way of that. So, um, but yeah, that, I got sober in early 2018, and I'm, like, five years deep in it now. And it's been really cool to be able to, like, work on the side of some advocacy for that now. Just because I think a lot of artists are really susceptible to just precarious environments. I mean, when you walk into a room that's, like, fully stocked with booze every night of your life and are told to like get up and perform and be social when that may not be your thing. It's it's easy to like become dependent and Yeah, no kidding. It's also like a environment that you're out super late. You're not maybe taking care of yourself as much as you are when you're having the ability to recognize and say, "Hey, okay, no, I need to be conscious of this instead of just n- numbing, being like, "Shut up, inner voice." Yeah. I got to do it. Yep, for sure. There's a lot of like just kind of shoving how you feel and it's easy to easier to do when you yeah, have a few drinks. In what ways did signing with Sona Blast Records change how your music was released and produced? Well, um for one thing, it was the first time that I ever had a partner uh like a financial partner in the promotional side of things um you know sauna blast is a boutique label and so in that they don't have like a mega team of in-house pr and staff but it was just i mean just to have someone sort of handling a lot of the administrative tasks of releasing music and helping to connect me with a good pr person and I think just the presentation of the fact that you have that label support was a big lift for the album. I think with with anything that you're relinquishing a little bit of control and ownership on, there are moments as an artist where you're like, is anyone going to work as hard on my music as I am? The answer is probably not. But they've been a really kind and supportive partner. And I'm really glad that I was able to put first light out with them. That's great. It's so important to have somebody behind you and a financial partner definitely helps. Um, Delegating is great. So many musicians are like 70 jobs in one. And Mm -hmm. that is also like, even though you might not work as hard, it's like, can you 
work as well on that many tasks as maybe you could have on like three or four. That's an important thing to to have in your in your back pocket. What was the PR process like for you? Did they like did you sit down with an interview with them and say this is who I am? Like what should I present or Yes. Um I mean, I think I think I kind of knew what I wanted to talk about. I knew what the album was about and what the stories were about. And a big part of I mean the the kind of sad part of independently pitching yourself to labels as an artist is you kind of have to have a lot of your PR dialed at that point. Um, but it was cool. I worked with Pressed PR, which is uh, Don Jones, who I met actually here at the Music District and is based out of Durango. Cool, like, um, femme-owned uh, PR company that I really wanted to work with. So they definitely know how to sort of take the story that you want to tell and connect it with the outlets and entities that might pick up a story like that. And I think that's a really helpful piece of advocacy. How did you get involved in designing music education programs here at the Music District? And how has education influenced your craft or how you approach creating now? Uh, so I... I basically got called in to be part of the first team that was hired here at the Music District. And I think at the time I had no idea what I was going to be doing. And over time fell into, you know, learning more about uh, curriculum design and education itself. My mom's a teacher. My dad's a coach. I feel like I kind of, you know, have always really loved loved a good teacher. So it came kind of naturally because I'm I'm a totally self-taught musician and I'm constantly like scrapping to try and learn the next thing that I need to do to make what I want. So I think it was just a big opportunity to sort of listen to the community, look at the world and kind of address the gaps that we have here in terms of music industry and look at, you know, what's possible. And I no longer work the music district, but I'm super happy for having had the opportunity to realize that that's something that I am really passionate about. Yeah, that's amazing. It's such a different perspective to like, I don't know, learn something and then also teach that to someone else. It seems like silly to say, but there's such a big shift and maybe a deeper understanding that comes from then, oh, and now I have to like express whatever youtube tutorial or whatever that i just like <laughs> yeah absorbed right i think oh yeah i mean i'm a big fan of just creating environments where people can share knowledge um i think the music industry music in general like it's so gatekeepy and it's it's like people want to act like there are pieces of information that are just next level you know and um that you have to have a Berkeley education for you have to like intern at a studio for but I think there's so much to be garnered just from the opportunity to be in a room with other people who are curious and learning and sharing um hacks and also just like putting something in front of people and being like okay figure let's figure it out together you know I think that can be a really rich learning process. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think that there's other hacks that you guys have come up with now in in that room of people or, or with whoever you're collaborating with that maybe are creating new ways of exploring or, or producing something? Like, did you guys stumble upon something that was like, oh my gosh, and nobody's ever thought of this before and we've just like shortcutted through the circuit? Um, I mean, I don't know that, that you can... That, that I could say, yes, we, we discovered that. But I do, I think it's like fairly formulaic in that, like you sort of create a scenario where people with different skill sets are working on something together that they all sort of have an incentive to do well at. You know, sync licensing was like a big thing around here, getting your, mu- or getting your music in film and TV. And being able to like have musicians collaborate on something that's not deeply personal you know if they're just creating a piece of like commercial music I think that people pick up on what your skill sets are or how you would problem solve a certain scenario so it's kind of like make it as quick and easy as possible to create something together with skilled people for something that everybody stands to gain something on you know Mm, totally yeah that's a pretty cool room to be in once everybody's like vibing on their own skill and bringing it to the table and making something together it's kind of magical like that's the beauty of collaboration and like open the gates (laughs) totally totally what was your experience like supporting bands like Bon Jovi Bonnie Raitt walk us through the kind of level of production and coordination it takes for a show at that level yeah I think so much preparation honestly and it's like years worth of playing bad shows <laughs> and good shows. And But I think there's something really tangible in going from playing like a small spa- stage to playing a giant amphitheater or like a bigger space where you just have to communicate things in much like simpler, broader strokes. It's almost like bigger, more exaggerated movements. Like, you look at bands like U2 or something, and it's like, that band didn't start out to be a band that sold out stadiums, but they eventually became a band that wrote songs that would be played in stadiums. And, you know, being kind of like littler bands that had to figure out how to translate songs into stadiums and stuff was an interesting exercise. And it made me think, if you just wrote mega stadium anthem pop hits then maybe you could just skip all the skip the crappy gigs i don't know do you (laughs) i wonder i wonder yeah i wonder (laughs) if that's like taylor swift's whole thing it's just like no i'm not doing it yeah (laughs) more production yes do you have a preference between like a stage like the aggie versus a big amphitheater is there a difference in experience with the crowd or uh the ability to tell stories maybe in between songs um, that you prefer? It's interesting because, you know, even this past weekend, we played the Aggie and then on Sunday I played like a smaller, more intimate song swap with my friend Brian, who's in a band called Sugar Britches, and it was like very intimate and lots of storytelling. And it's tough to say which is more gratifying. I think I'm 
really need both. I think I would be, I mean, I really am like a songwriter at heart, but I love the energy of live performance. So for me, it's like, I don't want to commit to either. I want to have one foot in punk rock and one foot in, you know, being a folk singer my whole life, I think. That's a very good aspiration to have. I think it's the balance. It's all about balance. And two shows a weekend is not bad right. for being able to play your music. Yes, it's, it's a good balance. <laughs> when do you know a song is done and ready to start recording when you're writing? Mm, I mean, that's a good question. I think I can always tell when I'm playing a song or when I'm listening to a song, especially if there's if there's another person in the room who I even kind of respect slash care what they think. I can always like feel it in my bones when there's something wrong with a song or when it's just not quite there. Um, and some songs still get recorded that way. And, you know, years later you're listening to them and you're like, this song's still not like right. But, you know... That's how it goes. Yeah. Well, how do you approach like the, that very Zen perspective of letting go of the perfectionism of a song once it's done? Because I don't know, so many artists that I've spoke to, myself included, is like you get into the recording space and you're like, oh man, let's just put this one on the back burner and we'll blow through the other ones and then come back to it or uh, you record it and then you have to go back. Mm. How, how do you know like, okay, you know what? It's done. It is what it is. Well, it's so interesting because songs are like when they, I mean, they're like this giant, you know, those visuals where it's like Michael Jordan's face, but then you zoom in and then there's like a thousand pictures of Michael Jordan. You yes. know what I'm talking about? Yes. Sorry, it's such a specific example. <laughs> but but it's like if you, you zoom out on this song, which in this analogy is Michael Jordan's face, and then there are just a thousand or a million choices that are just made as a song goes along. And sometimes I think you just have to kind of follow the path of like those choices being made and you end up with something at the end. You just hope the overall snapshot is still like well composed and defined and emotive and stuff like that. It might not be exactly what you started out thinking it was going to be, but it kind of just became what it is and I think I think I a really important part of my creative process is just being okay with what happens through a bunch of decisions I'm also like restless in the sort of thinking about what went well in processes and trying to <laughs> eliminate the things that didn't uh the next time I'm working on something so Hopefully things get better, but some songs just don't ever hit that like sweet spot, and it's maddening. But wow, that's actually it started out like I was like, where this? Where is Michael Jordan's face? I'm like, I'm, I'm really curious. <laughs> and now that you've explained it, I'm like, oh my god, that is the perfect metaphor for songwriting. <laughs> I'm so glad we got there. Air Jordan. Air Jordan for life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What has been your biggest struggle and biggest triumph within your music career so far? Well, I think it is still on that topic of creativity. I think my greatest struggle has been just 
trusting that you have to make a lot of music, um, or if I do, and I think that I move really quickly through things that are inspiring stylistically. I like morph a lot. And I think trusting that that's what I should be doing versus sort of comparing things and trying to think about what people like versus what people won't like. It's just my my biggest struggle has been just keeping my heart and my head on whatever I'm making. And my biggest triumph has been that I've gotten exponentially better at that over the years. Hell yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of like... Kurt Vonnegut has this like quote that's like, don't write with the window open. And I think that I find that to mean like, don't think about what anyone's going to think when you're working on something. And I'm getting better at that. It's tricky. It's tricky, especially in an age of like social media and Mm -hmm. PR and how many followers you have. It's like, oh, how do I like cast this wide net out? Right. And then maybe the truth is that if you just cast a net out, Mm -hmm. that the right fish are going (laughs) to swim in. That's right. Who knows? It's got to be a real net. Yeah. An honest net. It's got to be an honest net. Yeah. What do you think that the Colorado music scene does well? And what do you think that it could do better for artists? Mm. Well, I think at least, especially in this space that we're positioned in in northern Colorado, there is a ton of institutional support for the arts. And I think that is really cool for artists who are getting a start. So I think in this space of there's a lot of institutional support for the arts, it's amazing. Um, You know, Sonic Guild the Music District, Bohemian Foundation, Blast and Scrapped, The Lyric. Uh, There are so many entities that are really magical that allow musicians to kind of have a blue-collar sort of middle-class existence if they're scrappy enough and take advantage of the resources. And to that same note, I think that it's like an imperative of those organizations and spaces to really like think through accessibility and think through inclusion and figure out how to extend those resources further than what is sort of an easy cast you know but I but I see that happening I think there's work to do always on that stuff but yeah we can always grow and do better and yeah find more ways of making sure that the people who need it can not only access it but like be in the space and be like in the conversation for what they need as well. Yeah, be in the conversation is big, big, big. Yeah. What has your experience been with Sonic Guild? And how did you get involved? How did the organization help your career? Mm-hmm. So I, it's interesting because when I lived in Austin in maybe like 2013, I heard my first rumblings of Black Fret. And, um, It was cool and exciting, and for it to kind of come around, um, you know, I got a phone call from Danny Grant, I think, in the winter of last year with the first conversations around Sonic Guild here in Colorado, and um, just really excited to see it. I think it's such a cool model, like, and there is a really unique opportunity in receiving a grant that you can ultimately make the choices 
that you need and want as an artist to like use that money to advance what you're specifically trying to do. Um, and so for me, it was really great. I got the grant at a time that I was just starting to um, work on my next batch of songs. And I made the choice to self-engineer and produce. But the Black Fet grant that I got last year ultimately covered the mixing for the record that I'm making right now. Um, and that's huge. I mean, that's money that at this point, I'll make a decision whether I want to independently release or try and get some label support, but I don't need a label to pay for it at this point, uh, which is empowering because I, it, I don't have to sell my, my masters. I don't have to license my masters, um, which means maybe I'll make some money off of it. So, um, that's really cool. Uh, I also think that it's been awesome to get to play some of the Black Fret shows. And just, I think, the curational element of, like, deepening patronage and support for the arts in a community in a way that brings people a lot of joy and community and connectivity is really unique and cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing to have that power to choose and not be working from a place of scarcity Yeah, is like a whole different ballgame mm -hmm. for so many artists. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I have to say, I, I like working with Sonic Guild as well. I think it's amazing. I get to be in amazing conversations like this with artists. And the shows that they put on are exactly what you said. It's community. It's joyful. They're really trying their hardest to make it accessible. And, you know, that's something that the world just all in general could use more of those aspects of life. Yes. Agree. Any advice to artists who are just starting out? I think, um, I think it is a space where being confident in your communication is going to be really valuable. And I think that comes from a couple things like, like, and I think this advice might be specific to like femme, non-binary, queer folks working in music, which is that um, to surround yourself with people who really listen to you and support you um, and work on being able to communicate directly with the people that you're working with. Um, I think for a long time, I sacrificed a little space of vision and agency just because I didn't have like the confidence or the skill set. And we tend to think that that skill set needs to be like musical all the time, but I think sometimes it just comes from being, knowing yourself well and knowing how to communicate what you want and need. I realize that's kind of weird advice, but. Oh, great advice. I mean, that's one of the most difficult things I think across the board in, in all relationships is how do you communicate directly and in a professional way and in a way that you don't cross any of your own boundaries and you can really stand up for yourself and get what you want out of the interaction. What an amazing door to open and amazing advice to remind people. Cool. And keep your eye out for, for the Michael Jordans 
for Air Jordan. It's all about the big mosaic picture. Well, Alicia, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. I wish you the best of luck on what you're doing the rest of the day. Can you tell our, our audience a little bit about what you're doing? You are an absolute workhorse. Yes. Going into another self-producing session. Yes. What are you most excited about for that that song? I well, this song kind of came out of going on a walk with my friends, whom you know, my friends, and we were talking about. Uh, I think at one point someone said, maybe we only get one good summer, and and then we wrote that song almost instantly after that. So. I'm just in the process of, I think it's like kind of a hot, fiery gem of a demo. And I want to dig a little deeper today and just see if we can get that fresh, hot track out this summer or what. 